0: find, I guess, the people that you work with. I mean, I imagine you work with both people seeking help and, um, you know, caregivers and such.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I find people by having experiences like this with you, you know, being on podcasts and, and just sharing this with the world because people aren't looking online for joy coaches. <laughs> I might be the only joy coach you ever meet, right? So I have to make sure people are aware that this is an option and that it has benefit. So um, I do a lot of public speaking. That's, that's my number one way. You know, I love to be with a group of people and just pour into those people. I've got them for an hour. And man, if we can go from this state of, you know, wow, I hope that, you know, this isn't boring to I'm thinking about all these other things to I can't wait to get back to my desk (laughs) and, and quickly connect. You know, an audience and a speaker can connect quickly and get on the same page about an issue that they care about, in this case, having more joy in your bucket, and then share an hour together that's meaningful. All of a sudden I've got a hundred people who get it and who take it back to wherever. And so, you know, they might come to me for coaching or they might recommend me to speak to another group that they're part of. And eventually what happens is this word begins to get out more and more. And so yeah, to answer your question and But to back up a little bit, you know, you were talking about the whole self-care thing. And that is just the most perfect example of information overload. I think that, man, we really needed to hear messages on self-care. And it was lacking. And it became the media darling. It became the hot topic. And all of a sudden, we were getting it from every single angle. And it was good and necessary. But then it became like information overload and we began to tune out the things that were being shared without actually slowing the train and questioning our own behaviors and saying, am I doing any of this stuff? I hear it all the time, but am I doing any of it? (laughs) Because when we actually implement at least one or two of these things, we realize this stuff actually works it does make me feel good. And self-care and joy, oh man, they tie in beautifully. You know, when we realize we have needs and that we are in a position to do something about those, it is so empowering. You know, like even if all it is, is I realize that I have a need for a nap at two o'clock every day. I'm exhausted. I've got nothing in the tank at two o'clock. And I just need five minutes of quiet to put my head down on a table in the break room and just have peace. It might not really be a nap, but maybe it's more like five minutes of time out. I've recognized a need. I've done something about it. I go back to my job empowered because I have met my need for self-care, even if it was only something simple like that. And, and I didn't wait for someone to recognize man, you're really tired. You need to go take a break. I'm I'm here to rescue you. <laughs> so often we wait for that because we're that for other people. I mean, human services people are all about caring, right? We're all about noticing those needs. And sometimes we kind of want someone else to do that for us, but we find joy when we apply that to ourselves and meet our own needs. So yeah, self-care and joy. Oh man, they're like cousins. They're beautiful. They play nicely together. But because we're getting this message from every angle, we tune it out. And and I think that, you know, we're doing ourselves a disservice. I think that it's really great to stop and consider, am I actually doing any of this stuff? Here's one other example. Gratitude. Gratitude is a very powerful source of joy. When you are truly grateful for something, however big or small, it does fill you up with joy. It's they're again, they're cousins, they play beautifully together. And here's something that we have heard. Maybe, maybe you'll know where I'm going with this. There is advice regarding gratitude that we have been getting from so many angles for about the last five years. You, does anything come up for you as I talk about gratitude? What advice have you gotten on that?
0: Gratitude journals that that comes to mind, write down something you're grateful for. Yep. Every day actually, (laughs) not just once and done, like every day, write something down. Yes. And they've
1: done studies on that. And there have been such like like leaps and bounds of progress made in people's outlook when they implement that. This concept of keeping a gratitude journal, because it brings joy. That's in my opinion, that's why it's effective. But the thing is, we've heard that from so many people that we don't even listen to it anymore. So often we know that we need to do it, but do we actually stop and write something down once in a while? Do we get our phones out in the doctor's office while the kids are screaming around us and the air conditioning's out and the situation is crap? Are we we stopping to think about what we're thankful for in those circumstances? You know, do we get out our phone and write down, wow, I'm thankful that this doctor is even here today. I'm thankful that these kids can run around and play. I'm I'm thankful that I can feel the heat because the air conditioning's out. Some people don't have that sense of of temperature sense. You know, there are so many things to be thankful for, but in the moment we're focused on all that's wrong. And if we implement some of this stuff, this gratitude journal as an example, in the moment it has great power if we actually utilize it so, yeah, when you mentioned self-care, I thought, yeah, I really want to talk about that for a minute because we've tuned that message out and it is powerful when we implement it. I really hope that the listeners are thinking, yeah, I really don't, I really don't implement that like I should. And maybe that's the one thing that they'll get out of our conversation is stopping the train and doing some of the stuff and letting it work for you.
0: The first thing that pops into my mind as you're going through the process of, kind of exploring why people don't do grat- gratitude journals or <clears throat> really just observe gratitude in the first place, yeah. is I can recall the mindset that I had when gratitude became such a hot topic. Uh, it was in the beginning, I start, I I had a grat- gratitude journal. Don't use it as much anymore because my practices have changed into other things, which I'll, I'll share with you in a minute. But I think there was just... If we're thinking mindset, like precursor mindset before someone's introduced to this idea. This very simple idea. Here's the idea. Remember what you're grateful for and make it a practice. That's it, right? That's the idea. We are so inclined to seek what's the word I'm looking for? The next new shiny thing, like something that's more bedazzled with this uh elixir of change and, and that it'll fix this and But we've also convinced ourselves that nothing's quite that simple. And so I remember in the beginning, it's habit building at first, but like getting through that habit, I was like, damn, I really just, I was crapping all over gratitude journals and it's just helping me. And it's not a fix, no, but there's a mindset that comes, I guess by default, and has more to do with us as a society and what we have formulated this idea. It means to be an individual um, and a person responsible for themselves, but it can never be that simple. When in actuality, a lot of things are that simple, right? It takes practice and habit building is, you know, in and of itself, something you have to have resilience and patience for. At some point, I had my own realization of like, keep it simple, stupid, especially when I was trying to build better mental health habits. And then you, you get like, it surprises you. You're just like, oh, well, I guess they were right. You know, just do it. <laughs> you know, keep it simple. Don't make it complicated. And like it eventually helps. And that brings me to something we, we spoke about. I uh, thought it was super important in our first conversation together. And that is connecting with clientele or people or just, you know, in general that really don't recognize joy or don't feel that they've had the experience of it, which is a very genuine thing. You know, there are people out there. You know, whatever can happen will happen so that in in conclusion, there are people out there who just have never experienced joy and that might blow some of our minds, but how do we work with those people? Or they just, it's so much has happened and piled onto them from external factors and things out of their control that joy just doesn't seem, you know, like, like it's worth the time, right? Like, is it worth my time when I'm trying to get my basic needs met? to worry about joy. Can you kind of touch on how you handle those situations and help people in, in those predicaments? I sure can. Yeah, it would be
1: wrong of us to assume that every individual everywhere can feel joy or wants to necessarily, right? Like I couldn't assume that everybody feels joy from connection because it is a very individual thing. And we are all so beautifully different. And there is a condition that the name is escaping me right now, that it's a group of people who cannot feel joy and who, you know, for different reasons have either buried it or, um, you know, there have been like a series of events, traumas and things that have just not made it accessible anymore. Or it's, or it's just something that you know, it's just a personality issue. That's how it is. And, and so for any reason, you know, I, I think that it's important, first of all, that we just give space to the individuality of people. I I don't ever want to make a blanket statement or when I find myself doing that, I try to retract it and be more respectful of people's differences. Um, Having said that, I have worked with people who were not, filled with joy. I mean, that's why they came to a joy coach. You know, they were struggling to even know what brought joy to them from the very basic beginning and and moved on. And so it's like, you know, how do you tap into it then if it's not your mojo, if it's not your default. And, um, it's, it's interesting because so often, you know, one of the easiest ways to cultivate that is to dig back to a time in life when you had less pressure, you had less responsibility for most people, that's childhood. Again, I can't blanket statement that because a lot of, a lot of people have had abusive childhoods and traumas, but if childhood was a time of freedom and, uh, you know, exploration, we can often go back to those states, kind of tap into that inner child and dig into like, okay, when I felt that way, what was causing it? You know, what was it that made me feel alive at that point in my life. Was it being with friends? Was it, you know, having physical freedom to just go and run and play? Was it, you know, just the complete lack of responsibility because kids don't have nearly as much to worry about as adults have, you know, was it a particular person who was in our life more often that, you know, really got us and brought something out of us? It could be any number of things, but for a lot of people, I will you know, help them kind of go back then to a place of joy. And that for, for a lot of people is childhood. So, you know, that's one way, one way to do that. Um, it's funny because so often like the people that are givers, you know, people in this industry for sure, are givers, you know, they, they find joy in giving to other people. They, they're in it because it makes them feel good to help. So simply helping other people is one thing that brings joy. But the problem is so often we stop there. We put all of our eggs into the basket of helping people. That's how we identify ourselves. I'm a helper. You know, that's how we we put it all on our calendar. Like everything on our calendar has to do with helping other people. We don't make space for anything else. It's really all about this helping thing. And while that's wonderful, it cannot be our only source of joy because if that is removed from your life for some reason, You've got nothing. You've got no other sources of joy, no other inputs, no other you know infusion of joy because you've only focused on other people. And so, yeah, that's one thing. But it's, it's great to really think about, in addition to helping people, you know, what else makes you feel alive? Is it being spontaneous and just getting away from your schedule for five minutes and doing something that nobody would have expected you to do? You know, is it, dipping into gratitude and thinking about in this moment, what is something that I would miss if I didn't have it tomorrow? You know, what is something that I need and and didn't really say thank you for? Or, you know, is, is joy cultivated in relationship? Is it calling somebody that you haven't talked to or asking somebody a really good question and having connection with someone? Is it dipping into your faith and like, you know, really cultivating that, whatever that happens to be? Um, There's just so many things. Is it nature? You know, for so many people, that's one that is a little more universal. Even people who don't think that they've experienced joy have appreciated something wonderful in in creation. Maybe they haven't labeled it as joy, but it is. And so, you know, so often it's about educating ourselves and saying, wow, that was joy. I didn't recognize it as such. I, I have felt it. I just didn't label it that. And if I have felt it before, there's hope that I can feel it again.
0: That's beautiful. I love that so much. And one of the, it, it's inspired a question. I, I want people to think, have they ever experienced a deep loss of joy and can they recognize it? Yeah, I think that's an important question for people to have a conversation about, because I imagine that you've helped people who have who have grieved through their loss of joy. Um, I can think off the top of my head, like when I moved out of the dance out of you know teaching and competing in the dance world as very superficial as that is on the outside of things it was I didn't realize I was grieving until I was given that language I was like oh my gosh that is something that brought immense joy to me outside of my responsibilities and um, you know it took it took a couple of years to fully grieve that because it would come and go like in waves like grief does so you know do you do you have interactions with people who have to grieve their grieve their loss of joy before they can kind of embellish it again. Absolutely. And, you
1: know, people think that when they come to me for joy coaching, we're just going to sit down and laugh for hours. (laughs) And so often, you know, clients end up in tears. And it's because they've really never gone there. You know, they've just ignored, you know, some of the stuff that you're talking about. They've pushed grief aside or They've minimized, you know, the, the value in a lot of this stuff. You know, they just blow it off like, it, you know, I'll, I'll get over it. It's not that big of a deal. And then all of a sudden they're in a place where somebody is asking questions who really wants to hear the answers and allows as much space and as much time as it takes to just let that stuff come to light. It can be a very emotional experience. And so, yeah, they think, yeah, we're just going to laugh. And then they're like, wow, I didn't know I would need all this Kleenex. But you know, there's goodness in it. There's so much goodness in release of whatever it is that we keep trapped inside. I I worked with one young man. Oh my gosh, he was a recent high school graduate who came to me for joy coaching because all of his friends knew what they wanted to do with life, and he had no idea. And he was just really paused. And what was so interesting was we had so many coaching conversations around the fact that when baseball ended for him, he felt like he lost a part of himself. And it was more than baseball, much like dance was more than superficial. It had meaning. It, it brought you out, like all of you. It was expressive. And and it was competitive, and there was teamwork, and there was like perseverance and overcoming obstacles and challenges. I mean, there was so much wrapped up in baseball for this kid. And when Mm -hmm. he graduated and didn't have access to high school baseball, he lost so much of himself in the direction. So we we spent so many sessions just digging into what that meant to him and how he could find those same things and other parts of life, because it wasn't just the baseball. It was all of those things I just described, you know, the competitiveness, the teamwork, all this learning. And those things are present elsewhere. That was really good news. He thought, well, baseball was over. I'm done. And he learned that, wow, I can pivot and find this teamwork in my job as a high-low driver on the midnight shift. You know, like we're all doing this hard thing together, and we've got these goals we're trying to meet. And I'm not swinging a bat, but I'm still on a team. I can find joy in that. And so again, like we dug into like, I remember him crying in a couple of the sessions and saying like, he never let anybody see his emotion. He hated crying because he was afraid he wouldn't be able to stop. There was a lot of fear around all that might happen. And yeah, I mean, here we are, enjoy coaching and just letting this kid have space to cry. And, you know, when that, was over and the grief had been properly expressed. <laughs> there was hope. You know, we could start finding those aspects of life outside of baseball. Yeah, I think grief is really important, and we want it over with. Man, we hate how grief feels. <laughs> we we want to rush through that and just bury it and and be gone, be out of that state. And yet, when we allow it to have a voice. And we recognize that, man, this, this has a role to play. This grief can teach me something. It can help me express the depth of my experience. It shows that this thing really did have meaning. When we really give space to that and let grief do its job, then we're able to experience joy. But if we just push that aside and we ignore it, it's, it's like it's going to compete. It's going to compete with that space joy can't fully enter in when when grief needs to be expressed. And so often therapy comes in. You know, so many of my coaching clients have therapists. I am not a therapist. I'm a coach. There's a very big difference. And I wouldn't even pretend that I could do the things that need to take place in therapy. So, if somebody is is truly struggling with grief, so often I will refer them to therapy as well as coaching or maybe even in place of coaching. I've had Clients who are better served by therapists. And that's important to me. I don't need to be the person who saves everybody. I, I want people to get the help that they need. So,
0: talk a little bit more on that, real quick. And uh, I guess just a feature clarification to anybody out there who might have never worked with a coach, because I think a lot of people with biases maybe they don't understand what the benefits of, of coaches in general. Um, just kind of automatically assume like it's a, it, it, maybe you don't get deep enough or there isn't a lot of space to really express and get to the, the root of a problem. Right. So kind of real quick, what's the difference, but also explain the benefits of either and or both.
1: What I love about therapy is it is designed to help somebody with a past hurt to find peace, to heal. And there are therapeutic techniques and all kinds of certifications and, you know, schooling around helping people to heal. And so that is the primary goal of therapy. And when a person who is healed, whether from, you know, a trauma or uh, some type of a mental illness, you know, when they have gotten to a place where they feel stable and that is not as large of an issue, a driving force in their life, they're, and, and they're ready to move forward. That's where coaching enters in. Coaching is very forward focused. And so it's about what matters to you and what are you doing about it? And I am here or any coach is here to be your accountability partner, to help you think about the obstacles, to pull answers out of you that you didn't know were in there and to to help you realize how brilliant you actually are in solving all of these things. And so like, let's say that, you know, a client comes to me and decides like, I would have more joy if I could go skydiving, (laughs) just as an example, not something for everybody. And, and, and I can't go skydiving because here's my huge list of reasons. My job is to help that person decide like, how important is this to you? And what are you willing to do about that list of reasons that you just gave me? What ideas do you have? to work through that list of reasons. How can we just check that list off so that this thing is possible for you? It's very goal oriented. And so it's not as emotional as therapy. It's more like list checking. (laughs) It's people who want to take action and need help with whatever that action is. In my case, it's helping people to have joy and that could be in any number of things. But so yeah it's like man people come to coaching and all of a sudden they're accomplishing all kinds of stuff they're just checking those lists off they're in action mode this is for people who are ready to be in action mode
0: there is a lot I don't know where this got lost but I think especially in the profession we've lost that curiosity of knowing ourselves a little better and then proceeding to 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 be curious not just about ourselves and in that Introspective kind of way, but then about others, right? Makes it very, very hard with the world we live in now because we want to, so by default, assign these characteristics, either bad or good, uh, place judgment values on things we don't even have time to comprehend. And that does seep into our work. I mean, it it can't not, right? (laughs) You know, the personal is the political and professional in this industry. So there's something in your book, I think it's chapter two. Um, I wanted to kind of unpack with you. And that is, is joy the same thing as happiness? So I, I'm sure there's, again, tons of internet content on that question, that comparison. We could probably find infographics. But from your perspective, you know, what what what's the relationship? And then kind of, if you can, talk more about what messy joy is. So is happiness and joy the same thing? Then what is messy joy?
1: Okay. It's so cool that you would bring that up because I just heard that Matthew McConaughey is having an online event and it's all about, you know, just feeling better about life and you know all this stuff. So I checked it out because I'm a fan and he was on a podcast and it was with Dean Graziosi. And that was one of the questions that Dean asked Matthew. And what I loved about it was It was consistent with the message that I've been sharing and people are going to listen to him. (laughs) People are going to, he has a platform. And so, you know, it's like you can be an expert on something, but when Oprah says it, everybody listens. Right. And so that is an area that I really think we need to dig into on a regular basis. And, And people are starting to catch on because previous to the last couple of years, you know, you could go online and look up something about happiness And then you'd get this listing of all of these things where joy was populated in that list. Or if you would Google a song about joy, there were all these songs about happiness. And so if we, you know, they are so similar and we use them interchangeably until they're not, until we really take a look at the differences and we realize that they both make us feel good and we love that. But one is temporary and related to things going well and circumstances being in your favor. That's happiness. That is your skinny jeans fitting after, you know, 10 years and you're you're working out and all of a sudden you put them on and they fit and you're like, yay, like something good happened. I feel happy. And then Christmas and, you know, all the holidays come and all the food kind of, and then the pants don't fit. Where is happiness then? You know, those pants are back at the bottom of the drawer. The happiness is gone because it was tied to something going well. Joy is so different than that. It does feel good like happiness but it is more of a way of being. Joy is more of just a way of viewing things. It's it's about it's about resilience. It's it's not about feeling really high. It's about having hope long term. It's about having something in the tank that'll carry you when the circumstances are garbage. You know? And so it's like, okay, what are the things then that still fill me up and make me feel good that can't disappear when a hurricane rolls through. Because the hurricane's gonna roll through and wipe out all my chocolate in the drawer. There goes my happiness. But you know, it's not gonna wipe out the fact that gratitude still exists even when, you know, things are are difficult. It's you know, it's digging into those things we talked about earlier, connection and relationships and and faith and and movement and spontaneity and all of these things that generally can't be wiped out by a hurricane. Those are sources of joy. And so when we pour more effort into that, you know, there's room for the chocolate and the skinny jeans. I'm not dogging that. But what I'm saying is, if we put all of our effort into things that are sources of happiness and we label it joy, and then we wonder why we're up and down all the time, you know, we begin to think something must be wrong with us. But really, it's about that method. It's because we're seeking things that are short term when we really want to pour our efforts into things that are more lasting and that can't be wiped out by circumstances. And so, happiness and joy are similar, but very different. And when people like Oprah and Matthew McConaughey start talking about it, we're going to start listening. And I'm excited about that because it will clear up the confusion, you know, as a society, hopefully, eventually. And so, yeah, then the concept of messy joy is really about how do we how do we embrace life when it hurts how do we how do we embrace the ick when we didn't ask for it and we didn't sign up for it and and where does joy enter into that how can we have them both you know i'm i'm working with so many people who will say to me yeah i'm going to pay more attention to the joy in my life after you know i graduate from college i'm going to focus more on my own well-being when my kids are out of the house you know and i would love to reach people in the messes and help them to just have joy now when the divorce papers are just about to be signed you know when the, the chemo is taking its toll on how you really feel on a momentary basis when the circumstances stink. I, I want people to know how to have joy even then. And so I wrote a book that you've that you've talked about. It it is called Messy Joy. And man, I'm I'm on fire to get this into people's hands because it's like it's a bunch of personal stories about my life and other people's, you know, messy situations and how joy was found. But it's more than that because it's like, okay, that's really neat, but w- what's in it for me? who cares? Who cares about what happened to this girl? I want to know how to apply it to my life. And the book digs in and like we've talked about, but there are hundreds of journal questions woven into the pages of this book that will do the thing we've talked about, which is to help people stop the train and consider how this stuff should be implemented, how it can be simply like incorporated into life, little steps, little things that are doable. So I'm super excited about it. And I'm glad that you're taking the time to read
0: it. (laughs) Well, it's very inviting and and very engaging. Like I said earlier, Um, where can people find your book?
1: Yeah, my book's on Amazon. It's on barnesandnoble.com. It's at Walmart's website. It's basically on all the online book retailers' websites. Um, They can get a signed copy if they want one from me for a gift or for themselves uh, just by reaching out through my website, which is joytotheworldcoaching.com. So my company is called Joy to the World Coaching, but I cannot reach the world unless I reach the givers of the world, the people like you who are doing this thing. If I can help you continue to to share that joy and to share that goodness, I can reach the world with joy. So
0: Robin, thank you so much for sharing your insight and your wisdom. And really, again, you've you've highlighted a, a place in human services in this human services umbrella that, you know, people would have never thought of on their own and now they can go and explore maybe not becoming a joy coach but understanding what is worth it when you do evaluate where you are in in your relationship with joy. So thank you for bringing the human back to human services.
1: Love that you gave me the opportunity to do that. I I so appreciate what people do in this industry. I don't think they realize how important their, their commitments are, their contributions and um yeah i i think that you know we just we have so many things that we have to do that we we do forget the human part and there are real people with real needs on the other side of that desk and when we can meet them and and show them that they matter it's going to go so far you know it's going to it's going to change their outcome and the people that they interact with so Yeah, clearly I feel very strongly about this. Um, Yeah, I apologize for like falling apart, but I think that, you know, if nothing else, people will be inclined to consider how their work matters. If nothing else, you know, you can take it from a girl in Michigan, your work really matters. The things that you do have true impact on people. And if you stop doing those things, then what? then what? Let's keep joy in your tank so you can keep doing those wonderful things that are making such a difference for other people. So (laughs) thanks for having me. That was a really fun ending to a great conversation. But yeah, I appreciate you and all that you do.
0: Find more from Robin on her website, joytotheworldcoaching.com. Links to where you can get Robin's book, Messy Joy, How Joy Can Begin Before Your Difficulties End, are included in the episode details. Previous episodes and our full interview with Robin are now available on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Discover more from NOHS, including the Roundtable Discussions podcast, on our website, nationalhumanservices.org.